Hello, welcome to the podcast of Chesbro Baptist Church. This morning we'll be starting a new Sunday morning series at Chesbro. The title of the message is Encouraged, and that's also the title of the series. And throughout this series, we'll be going through the life of David and see how David was able to encourage himself. So please enjoy. 1 Samuel chapter number 30 this morning. And what we're going to do this morning is we're going to start a new series, a new Sunday morning series. And the series is going to be about the life of David. And uh, it'll be the title of the series will be the title of the message this morning. So I'm going to ask you if you found 1 Samuel 30 and you're physically able to please stand one last time for respect and reverence to the word of God. We're going to begin reading in 1 Samuel chapter 30. We'll read verses 1 through 6. And it came to pass when David and his men were come to Ziklag on the third day, that the Amalekites had invaded the south and Ziklag and smitten Ziklag and burned it with fire and taken the women captives that were therein. They slew not any, either great or small, but carried them away and went on their way. So David and his men came to the city and behold, it was burned with fire and their wives and their sons and their daughters were taken captives. Then David and the people that were with him lifted up their voice and wept until they had no more power to weep. And David's two wives were taken, Ahinoam the Jezreelitess and Abigail the wife of Nabal the Carmelite. And David was greatly distressed for the people spake of stoning him and because the soul of all the people was grieved and every man for his sons and for his daughters but David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. The title of the message this morning and the title of the new series we're starting is Encouraged. Let's pray. Dear gracious Heavenly Father, we come to you today. And Lord, I pray that you would just please bless our Sunday morning service this morning. I pray that you touch us through the word of God. And I pray that the power of God would fill us today. Thank you once again for all you've done for us. In Jesus Christ's precious name I pray, amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> Who in here, you've went through a bad situation and <clears throat> you make the mistake of saying, you know what, it can't get any worse. You make that mistake. And then what happens when, you say, when those words come out of your mouth is what happens is old Murphy hears you, you know, from Murphy's Law. If it can go wrong, it will go wrong. And Mur old Murphy hears you, and just when you say, man, things just can't get any worse, it's always amazing, they always find a way to get worse. And, and that's kind of the situation David was in. I want you to know this morning that, that David was already running for his life. Is anyone in here you've ever done a job and you get punished for doing your job good? Well, that's the kind of situation that David was in. David was punished because he was acting wisely. David was being punished because he was doing a good job. They were marching into Israel and people were singing Saul with his thousands and David with his tens of thousands. In fact, he did his job so good that old King Saul got jealous. And old King Saul sought to kill him. 
So David, what, what he was doing is he was fleeing for his peace, spent his nights fleeing for his life fleeing the sword because Saul was trying to kill him. And the Bible says what David and his men went from Ramah to Gath to Haldalum to Keilah to Ziph to Engadi to Ziph, uh, back to Ziph to Gath to Ziglag to Aphek. And if you, if, if you put all this on a map, David fled over 177 miles. He was fleeing for his life. He was fleeing in panic. And every step of the way, David had to look over his shoulder. David had 3,000 sharpshooters hunting him down like a hunter hunts down a bird. And you know, and, and maybe David, after he's fleeing for his life and he's looking over his shoulder and he's sleeping with one eye open, he says to himself, man, things can't get much worse. But then they do. The Bible says on the third day in verse number one, and what that shows is that from, from uh, David's last destination until their hometown of Ziklag was about... Uh, it was about 25 miles a day they covered. And, and when they, after these three days of 25 miles a day, no doubt when they arrived home, they were ready, uh, uh, they were hungry. And no doubt when they arrived home, they were thirsty. And no doubt when they arrived home, they expected a nice welcome, all the comforts of a welcome home. But on that last day of travel, as they came up to Ziklag, they noticed something a little different. You see, they smelt the stench of smoke in the air and smoke lingered in the air. But little did David know that while him and his men were on a mission to Gath, that the Amalekites had went to their city, had burned their city to the ground and had taken all of their families captive. When the followers of David walked into town and they saw the smoldering ruins of what used to be their home and didn't see a soul in sight, they expected the worst. And the Bible says they lifted up their voices and wept until they had no more power to weep. These sorrowful men's grief, they're grieving so bad, but we soon see that this, this grief that these men are they're, they're feeling, this grief soon turns to bitterness. And they are desperately looking for someone to blame. Who better to blame than David? After all, it was David's fault that they weren't there when the Amalekites got there. And, and man, they looked at David and they turned on David and they tried and they won a mutiny about, against David. And the Bible says they wanted to stone David. They wanted to throw rocks at David's head until he died. This shows how they had turned against their leader. How oh, this man, David, is struggling. This man, David, he's struggling on the inside and he's struggling on the outside. Within himself, he's concerned for his family. Within himself, he's concerned about uh, his wives and where they're at and what happened to his family. But on the outside, the anger, the dam holding back the anger of his men was about to break. And they're about to mutiny him and they're about to come down on him. And, and the Bible, and, and what's worse about this is that he didn't have a plan. All this stuff is going on with David. He didn't, he didn't know what to do. He didn't have anybody he could turn to. No wonder the Bible says that he was greatly distressed. What I want to tell you this morning is that word distressed in the Old Testament, that is a desperate, desperate word. 
It means, uh, it means something that which is narrow, confining, or restricted. At times, it means to bind something up like binding a stone in a sling. However, that word on an emotional level, it pictures a person who is under tremendous pressure and a person who is under tremendous opposition. There's no place to turn to and the enemy is coming in from all sides. That's what that word distressed means. And that's what exactly what David was feeling. David had no place to turn to. David had nobody to turn to. David was being crushed from within. David was being crushed from without. And worse than the fact of the impending mutiny of his men was the fact that David knew this really was his fault. David knew this was all his fault. He knew he was the one responsible. You see, it all started the day he started following his fears and not following God. We see in 1 Samuel 27 that David had brought this exact thing, these exact calamities upon other cities. You see, during David's time running for Saul and during his time among the Philistines, David made his money as a bandit. And when David went into the towns, he would kill every woman and child in the town. These Amalekites were more, were more merciful than David had been. But David had gotten to the point where he was, he was telling lie after lie after lie. He eventually got to the point where he was yoked up with the enemies of God. He was yoked up with the enemies of Israel. And David knew deep down in his heart that he had brought all of this heartache on himself. So David... What are you going to do? David, what happens when you're friendless? David, what happens when you're forsaken? David, what happens when you're frightened? What do you do, David? What happens when you're greatly distressed? What does the Bible say? The Bible says, and David encouraged himself in the now, that is a powerful statement on so many levels. Because inside of David right now, these questions are cycling through his head. And he's saying, you know, uh, where, had the, where had the Amalekites taken their families? How is he going to sustain his army? What's he going to do about the insurrection brewing among the ranks? Uh, every second that passes by puts his family in more and more at more and more at risk and more and more trouble. What are you going to do, David? And the Bible says David encouraged himself in the Lord. We live in a discouraged country today. Bible, uh, the Bible, the, the studies have shown that 77% of the American people, they regularly deal with the physical symptoms caused by stress. Many things can cause stress in our lives, from job pressures to money problems to health problems, relationship problems, poor nutrition, media overload, lack of sleep, you name it, it probably causes stress. Discouraged people often don't sleep at night. And when they are awake, uh, their lives are consumed with fear and their lives are consumed with worry and their, their lives are consumed with restlessness. 
I also want to tell you that discouragement produces complacency. Because a person can get so discouraged to where they say, you know what? I just don't care anymore. Maybe you've experienced that in your life. So many things have piled up on you till you finally say, you know what? I just don't care anymore. But David encouraged himself. You know, maybe David was on to something. Maybe David knew something that we didn't know. All right, so David, help us out, David. Help us out. How did you react when they carried them away? Um, what did you do after you wept until there was no more power to weep? David, how do you live when you're greatly distressed? I'm here to tell you today, it's the reason why 1 Samuel 30 is in the Bible. So what I want to do this morning is I want to go through here and I want to I look at some lessons from the life of David to help encourage me and you in this evil day. Lesson number one, we need to understand what encouragement means. We need to understand what encouragement means. The Old Testament word encourage, it means to be strong. It means to be courageous. It means to overpower. A form of the word was used to describe a city as it fortifies its walls and a city as it fortifies its defenses and it was used most often to inspire a soldier in combat. It's the same word as in this classic verse, John 1, 9. Have I not commanded thee, be strong and of good courage, be not afraid, neither be thou dismayed, for the Lord thy God is with thee, whithersoever thou goest. Now I want to tell you something today, something we get wrong a lot in today's society. Encouraged does not mean happy. Encouraged does not mean happy. Too often, we think the two words are synonymous, and we think the two words mean the same thing. I'm here to tell you today, encouraged does not mean happy. They do not mean the same thing, and they certainly don't mean the same thing in the Bible. I'm here to tell you today that there was nothing for David to be happy about. Hey, his family, you know, uh, uh, David, uh, uh, he, was not, he was not happy that his family had been taken, but he was encouraged. He was not happy that his city had been burned to the ground, but he was encouraged. He was not happy. There was nothing for him to be happy about that his men were going to mutinize against him and going to stone him. He wasn't, that wasn't something for him to be happy about, but the Bible does say that he was in Encouraged. Encouragement and happiness are not the same thing. Hey, but let me tell you though, there's a lot of money in making people happy. There's a lot of money in making people happy. Hollywood knows it. Politicians know it. Drug makers know it. And big business religion knows it. And our churches today, convicting portions of Scripture are conveniently ignored. Most attendees of this big business stadium religion, oh, they know I can do all things through Christ, but they don't know I am crucified with Christ. Oh, they may know, you know, I can, you may know God shall supply all my need, 
But very few know for me to live as Christ and to die as gain. In 2014, Yankee Stadium was sold out when over 50,000 people filled the old ballpark to come listen to our favorite orator, Mr. Joel Olstein. This is my Bible. They come to listen to old Mr. Joel, and, you know, scalpers were reselling tickets for $850 a seat. At an original ticket price of $15 a seat, plus the cost of books and plus the cost of souvenirs, old Mr. Joel, one night at the old ballpark, brought him in millions and millions of dollars. There is a lot of money in making people happy. But once again, happy and encouraged are not the same thing. God does not expect us to be happy at the funeral of a loved one, but he wants us to be encouraged. God does not expect you to be happy when you lose your job, but he wants us to be encouraged. God does not expect you to be happy when the doctor says the C word, when he says the word cancer, but he wants us to be encouraged And I'm here to tell you today that tickling people's itching ears with upbeat fluff might paint a smile on someone's face temporarily, but only God's solutions are permanent. David didn't need a good feeling. He needed to be strong as a rock. Uh, With the world crumbling on on all sides of him, David didn't need a God who was going to make him healthy, happy, and rich. He needed to be encouraged. And encouraged and happy are not the same thing. Lesson number two this morning. We need to understand that encouragement is a choice. We need to understand that encouragement is a choice. The Bible says that David encouraged himself. David's friends were failing him. He was losing leadership over his warriors, his his alliances with all these other kings like King Achish, all these alliances he made, right now those alliances were worthless. There There was nobody to pat him on the back. There was nobody there to lift him up. There was nobody there to help him carry the load. There was no one there to help him press on. So what did David do? He simply encouraged himself. He encouraged himself. Maybe David purposed in his heart something like this, and maybe David said, you know what? I don't have a friend in the world. This may be very well my last day on earth, and I may this day absolutely lose everything I have, but I refuse to be discouraged. I will not let my present circumstances make me a weak, frail man. I will be encouraged. I will not be distressed anymore. You know, it almost, it almost sounds too good to be true. You know what my old daddy told me? Daddy told me growing up, he said, Brett, if something sounds too good to be true, it usually is. And bless God, can we testify to that? But in this instance right here, it's, it, it is that simple. You may say, oh, that's too simple. It's it's too basic. We're almost offended at the notion that a human being can make a choice 
that will influence their outlook on life. The reason for that is we've been conditioned by our society to think that our problems are somebody else's fault. My problems are somebody else's fault. Society has conditioned us to that. Because of that, um, uh, uh, but, but because of that, uh, we think that, that we, we have to look to external sources to fix our problems. Oh, the doctor can write me a prescription. The government can give me a handout. The government can give me an entitlement. A college degree will fix my financial woes. But the more we blame our difficulties on society, the more we expect society to fix the mess we made. At the end of his rope, David had come to the end of the rope. He found no one there to encourage him. He found no one there to pat him on the back. He found no one there to lift him up. With his men ready to stone him and his men ready to kill him, David looked in the mirror and said, I choose to be strong. I choose to be courageous. I choose to be encouraged. And if it worked for David, then it still works today. Instead of expecting Walgreens to give us a magic potion, we need to take matters into our own hands and instead of looking, uh, looking at Hollywood to escape our woes, we need to face our own reality. Instead of paying a psychologist to blame the rest of the world, we need to take responsibility for our own condition. If David could encourage himself in the Amalekite calamity, there is no reason... No reason why me and you can't encourage ourselves today in what 2 Timothy 3.1 calls perilous times. Let me give you lesson number three. Lesson number three is we need to realize that the Lord is our only hope of encouragement. The Lord is our only hope of encouragement. David recognized his need for strength. David knew that encouragement was a choice. So how did he accomplish this? How did he do it? Let me tell you something. He didn't expect God to automatically snap his fingers and fix his problems. Let me tell you something. God is not the genie in the bottle. You don't get to go rub the lamp and God comes out, sings you never had a friend like me, and then fixes your problems. That's, that's, not, how, that's not how this thing works. You know what? You know, let's look at a couple of ways that these men tried to fix their problems and it didn't work. You know what the first thing they tried to do? Is they, first thing they did is they tried to vent. You ever heard this? Vent. Oh, just let it out. Just don't keep it in. Just let it out. Just vent. Just let it all out. Well, let's see how venting did for them. Verse 4. Then David and the people that were with him lifted up their voice and wept until they had no more power to weep. They were venting. They were letting it all out. They weren't holding it in. And you know what venting did for them? Absolutely nothing. It did not fix one thing. They were in the same, after venting, they were in the same situation they were in before. Lifting up their voices and weeping did not do anything. What's the second thing they tried to do? The second thing they tried to do is they tried to play the blame game. The blame game was not created by Milton Bradley. We've been playing the blame game since the beginning of time. 
um, my wife gave it to me. Um, um, the serpent gave it to me. The, ser- the serpent tricked me. We've been playing the blame game since the beginning of time. Let's see what the blame game did for him. And David, verse 6, and David was greatly distressed for the people, uh, for the people spake of stoning him because the soul of all the people was grieved. And guess what? Surprise, surprise, the blame game did not do anything for them. So they tried venting, it didn't work. They tried playing the blame game and that didn't work. What did David do? David decided to go to the Lord. Let's start back in verse number six. And David was greatly distressed for the people spake of stoning him because the soul of all the people was grieved and every man for his sons and for his daughters. But David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. And David said to Abathar the priest, Ahimelech's son, I pray thee, bring me hither the ephod. And Abathar brought thither the ephod to David, and David inquired at the Lord, saying, Shall I pursue after this troop? Shall I overtake them? And he answered him, Pursue, for thou shalt surely overtake them, and without fail recover all. Using the priest ephod, David followed the Old Testament pattern, for doing, the, for doing the will of God, for seeking the will of God. Let me tell you something. David got into the mess he was in by following his own will, but David was encouraged by following the Lord's will. That was how he was encouraged. And let me tell you today, we have a distinct advantage over David. We no longer have to pull colored stones out of priestly pouches to determine the will of God for our lives. Instead, we simply open our Bibles. It's literally spelled out for us. We have a more sure word of prophecy than colored stones in priestly pouches. I'm number four this morning. We encourage ourselves by remembering something about our Lord. We encourage ourselves by remembering some things about our Lord. Number one, if you want to encourage yourself, you need to remember God's love. You need to remember God's love. The Bible says in Jeremiah 31, 3, The Lord hath appeared of old unto me, saying, Yea, I have loved thee with an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness have I drawn thee. David had to see God's love in the rejection of the Philistine leaders. Now, as we go through this series, I'm going to talk more about this story. But I want you to see that, that David had went to the Philistine leaders and the Philistine leaders rejected him. And that's why David turned and went back home. If, if the leaders had not rejected him, then David and his men would have been gone for months and months. But he was rejected, and that's why they came back when they did. When they got back to the city, the fires were still burning. The attack had just happened. Man, if they would have waited months and months to come back, the situation would have been a lot worse. And David realized this. And what had stung him before now was sweet. The news that he thought was bad news actually turned out to be good news. And let me tell you something, Christian, in your life, when the bad news turns out to be good news, that is a fingerprint of God. And it is proof of God's love for me and you. When you need to be encouraged, you remember God's love. Number two, 
Remember God's promise and calling. Remember God's promise and calling. Man, all this stuff was piling on David and maybe David remembered back, you know what? God gave me a promise. You know what? God gave me a calling on my life. Let me read for you 1 Samuel 16, verses 11 through 13. And Samuel said unto Jesse, Are here all thy children? And he said, There remaineth yet the youngest. And behold, he keepeth the sheep. And Samuel said unto Jesse, Send and fetch him, for we will not sit down till he come hither. And he sent and brought him in. Now he was, a, now he was ruddy and with all of beautiful countenance and goodly to look to. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is he. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brethren. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. David could shake his head and shake the, maybe this, maybe this made David shake the fog out of his head and that had been in there for the last year. And maybe David said, you know what, I'm anointed by God. I'm called by God. God made me a promise. God promised me that I would be the next king of Israel. I have a calling on my life. I have a promise on my life. I need to live worthy of my destiny, worthy of the calling that God has called me to. Christian, I'm here to tell you today, when you need to be encouraged, you remember God's call on your life. God has called you to be a Christian. God has called you to minister to the people that you're ministering to. God has called you to be a part of the family that you're a part of. God has called you to be a Christian husband. And God has called you to be a Christian wife. And God has called you to be a Christian mom and dad. And don't forget about the calling of God on your life. And God has a promise for you. God has something for you. God has something that he has called you to do. When you need to be encouraged, you remember about God's calling on your life. Number three, when we need to be encouraged, we need to remember God's past deliverances. We need to remember God's past deliverances. Maybe David said within himself, you know what? This is a bad spot. This is a terrible spot I'm in. But you know what? I've been in bad spots before. I've been in terrible spots before. And you know what? God helped me out of those. He can help me out of this. And you know what? I doubt very seriously that God saved me back then just so I can perish today. I doubt very seriously that God helped me succeed back then just so he could see me fail today. No, God didn't. And David realized this. And maybe that's why he could write the words in Psalms 18 too. The Lord is my rock and my fortress, my deliverer, my God, my strength in whom I will trust, my buckler and the horn of my salvation, my high tower. Man, that sounds like somebody encouraged to me. If he's helped you before, he can help you now. Now, I do want to say something else about this story. You know, David only looked to himself and the Lord for encouragement. If you go to 1 Chronicles chapter 12, you'll see this story again. And uh, in that passage of Scripture, we see that with David were men from the tribe of Manasseh. 
The men from the tribe of Manasseh were the only men who stood by David's side when everybody else wanted to stone him and mutiny against him. But it's funny. It's funny that even though these men from the tribe of Manasseh, they were standing by him, the Bible does not list them as a source of David's encouragement. The Bible just says that David encouraged himself. Now, why is that? Because David had come to the point in his life when he realized that his encouragement didn't need to come from other people. Because let me tell you something, Christian. One day there is going to be nobody. One day everybody's going to be against you. And one day everybody's going to come down on you. And there's going to be no one to pat you, pat you on the back. And there's going to be no one to lift you up. And there's going to be no one to tell you to keep going. And in that day, you're not going to rely on the men from the tribe of Manasseh. You're going to have to encourage yourself. Encourage yourself in the Lord. During the tumultuous days of World War II, American, Americans anxiously waited to hear news from the battlefield. While husbands and sons were dying for freedom and they were desperately listening to the news and reading the newspaper and they were trying to hear if their husband or if their son had died in the war, this was a strain. The strain in America was extraordinary during that hour. In the midst of the war was a Pennsylvania mother. Her name was Ruth K. Jones. Ruth K. Jones was reading a Pittsburgh newspaper and she was reading the casualty report in this Pittsburgh newspaper. And just this, this time she read it, she didn't see her son. But she was still emotionally exhausted by this. She put the newspaper down and she picked up her Bible and she read these words in her Bible, perilous time shall come. Words started to come in Miss Jones' head and she grabbed the notebook and she began to write the words to a new verse. When she got done writing those words in her notebook, the clock on the mantel chimed four times and it made her think, to, it prompted her to write music to match the words that she had just wrote. At the end, when it was said and done, when she finished, she had written a song for the ages. And the words to the song go like this. In times like these, you need a savior. In times like these, you need an anchor. Be very sure, be very sure your anchor holds and grips the solid rock. In times like these, you need a Bible. In times like these, oh, be not idle. Be very sure, be very sure your anchor holds and grips the solid rock. In times like these, I have a Savior. In times like these, I have an anchor. I'm very sure, I'm very sure my anchor holds and grips the solid rock. This rock is Jesus. Yes, he's the one. This rock is Jesus, the only one. Be very sure, be very sure your anchor holds and grips the solid rock. But David encouraged himself. <laughs>